Exodus chapter 12, verses 1 all the way to 51. Then living bread that the Lord has emphasized so much. What is the revelation to the church on that bread? Why did the Lord say unleavened holy bread? Genesis chapter 19, verses 1 to 3 says, Sodom and Gomorrah destroyed. The two angels arrived at Sodom in the evening, and Lot was sitting in the gateway of the city. When he saw them, he got up to meet them and bowed down with his face to the ground. My Lord, he said, please turn aside to your servant's house. You can wash your feet and spend the night, then go on your way early in the morning. No, they answered, we will spend the night in the square. Verse 3, but he insisted so strongly that they did go with him and entered his house. He prepared a meal for them, baking bread without yeast, and they ate. Why am I emphasizing this scripture right now? I'm looking at the different aspects of the bread without yeast. Why the Lord emphasized the bread without yeast? And what does it stand for in the church and the Holy Communion? Now, in this case, you see very clearly that Sodom and Gomorrah were to be destroyed. And the Lord had sent his two angels there, so Sodom and Gomorrah may be destroyed. But Lut, having recognized them, went to bow down and worship them. So bread that is unleavened here that he presented before these men, hallelujah, speaks a lot. Essentially, it speaks about the fact that this is a holy place, bread without yeast, and it talks about redemption and salvation that was going to take place over the life of Lut from Sodom and Gomorrah after he insisted they came and he presented it. So essentially, bread without yeast also represents redemption and salvation, complete redemption from sin and salvation. Now let's look at Exodus 13, verse 3 to 7. I want to look at another revelation that's embedded within the Passover on the bread without yeast. Hallelujah. The other revelation on the unleavened bread, why the Lord emphasizes on the unleavened bread, is in the book of Genesis 19 and Exodus 13, verses 3 to 7. And this is what the Lord says here. He says, verse 3, Moses said to the people, Commemorate this day, the day you came out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery, because the Lord brought you out with a mighty hand. Eat nothing containing yeast, is still emphasizing. Today, in the month of Abib, you are living. When the Lord brings you into the land of Canaanites, Hittites, Ammonites, Amorites, Hivites, and Jesuits, the land he swore to your fathers to give to you, the land flowing with milk and honey, you are to observe the ceremony in this man. For seven days eat bread made without yeast, and on the seventh day hold a festival unto the Lord. Eat unleavened bread is repeating that. During the seven days, nothing with yeast in it is to be seen among you, nor shall any yeast be seen anywhere within your borders. On that day, tell your sons, do this because of what the Lord did for me when I came out of Egypt. This observance will be for you like a sign on your hand 
and a reminder on your forehead that the law of the Lord is to be your lips. Hallelujah. For the Lord brought you out of Egypt with his mighty hand. You must keep this ordinance at the appointed time each year. It's important to realize that actually the Lord here is talking about the fact that unleavened bread also acts as a reminder because he says this should be a reminder unto you. In other words, it should remind you of the main fact that the Lord he delivered you out of Egypt. And it's interesting that now he ties it in as a law. He says this becomes a law. So you begin to understand that during the sacrificing of the Passover lamb and also during the Holy Communion, the Holy Communion is supposed to act as a reminder to keep us in the Word of God. Now, the other aspects about the Holy Communion is 1 Corinthians 5, 6, and 11. What does the unleavened bread stand for to the church? Why does the Lord emphasize unleavened bread all around the Bible when it comes to the Holy Communion? 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 6 to 11 This is what he says here. Your boasting is not good. Don't you know that a little yeast works through the whole batch of dough? Get rid of the old yeast that you may be a new batch without yeast, as you really are. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Therefore, let us keep the festival, not with old yeast, the yeast of malice and wickedness, but bread without yeast, the bread of sincerity and truth. I just want you to understand that the bread without yeast, the unleavened bread that the Father is emphasizing to the church, essentially also stands for sincerity and truth because it says bread without yeast, the bread of sincerity and truth. And that's why the Lord God ordained and commanded that when they celebrate the Passover, when the lamb is slaughtered, the Passover of the Lord, they are never to eat bread with yeast, but only bread without yeast. And now we are seeing deeper that bread without yeast essentially also stands for sinceity and truth. Again, in the last few, Matthew chapter 16, hallelujah, verses 5 to 12, he still talks about the deeper revelation of the bread without yeast. He says, the yeast of the Pharisees. When they went across the lake and the disciples forgot to take bread, be careful, Jesus said to them, be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And he says, they discussed this among themselves and said, it is because we didn't bring any bread. Aware of their discussion, Jesus asked, you of little faith, why are you talking among yourselves about having no bread? Do you still not understand? Do you remember the five loaves for the 5,000? Or how many baskets you gathered? Or the seven loaves for the 4,000? And how many baskets full you gathered? How is it that you don't understand that I was not talking to you about bread, but be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees and Sadducees? Then they understood that he was not telling them to guard against the yeast used in bread, but against the teachings of the Pharisees and Sadducees. I just want to emphasize one thing here. 
that in this case, we see very clearly a case in time when the Lord now in the Bible is using bread without yeast as the true teaching, the true word. He's emphasizing the fact that bread without yeast stands for the true word. But he's also using the fact that bread with yeast stands for the teachings of the Pharisees and the Sadducees, essentially the false teachings in the church. When you translate it to the church, he is saying that bread without yeast represents the true doctrine, the true teaching of the true word of God, and yet bread with yeast standing for false teachings, false prophets, the teachings of the Pharisees, the teachings of the Sadducees, the teachings of the religious people, somebody. And I want to finish up this now. The book of Judges, chapter 6, verse 19. He still talks about the bread without yeast. Judges, chapter 6, precious people. Judges 6, verse 19. Only one verse, somebody. What does bread without yeast stand for in the church? Why does the Lord emphasize bread without yeast? Gideon, having encountered God, having encountered the Lord, the angel of the Lord, he realized this is the angel of the Lord. He goes out to make a sacrifice. He is able to ask the angel of the Lord to wait on him so he can make sacrifice and bring unto the angel of the Lord. Look at what he does, verse 19. He says, Gideon went in, prepared a young goat, and from an ephah of flour he made bread without yeast, put in the meat in the basket, and his broth in a pot. He brought them out and offered them under the oak. Hallelujah. In other words, the Lord is using this to emphasize the fact that bread without yeast is the bread of the presence, the presence of the Lord. Bread without yeast is the bread of the visitation of the Lord. Because you see that from that point on, when Gideon presents bread without yeast, the angel touched it after he poured broth. He was ordered to pour broth away. The angel touched it on the rock, and a huge flame of fire visited that rock, visited Gideon. And that was the beginning of a mighty visitation in the land. And at the same time, if you read further, you see that the bread without yeast that brought the mighty visitation also led to Gideon destroying the Asherah poles and the altars of Baal. So in other words, the bread without yeast here, in this case in Judges chapter 6, is being used by the Lord to emphasize the fact that it stands for the mighty visitation, the bread of the presence. No wonder it was always in the holy place. The bread of the visitation. And at the same time, the dismantling of the altars that are false, the altars of Baal, the altars of false prophecies and teachings in the church. And I want to finish up with one mighty bread. That is John chapter 6, verse 32 to 59. We're finishing now with the mighty bread that you see in John chapter 6. Again, bread without yeast is what we are still looking at. Jesus, the bread of life. John chapter 6, verses 32 to 59. We are now talking about Jesus, the true bread without yeast that is present at Passover. John chapter 6, verses 32 on. Look at what he says here. He says, 
Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth, it is not Moses who has given you bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Now you see when you move, you summarize all that together, what the Lord was talking about in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, he essentially was talking about the bread without yeast that is present during Passover, the one whose body is striped, hallelujah, that's why Matzah is striped, he's talking about the true bread that was given to us from heaven by the Father to give us life, to give life to the world. Sir, they said, from now on give us this bread. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry. He who believes in me will never be thirsty. Now look at that somebody. He's saying he's the bread of life. And whoever eats him, comes to him, eats his flesh, will never hunger, will never die. But he also says something interesting. Will never thirst. Whoever goes to him will never thirst. So essentially in this case you see that the complete bread of life that's present during the sacrifice when the Passover lamb, the perfect Passover lamb is being sacrificed, the perfect Passover lamb is Jesus. And the bread that is present at that time, which is his body, he essentially, he is now talking also about the Holy Spirit. He's talking about the fact that you will not thirst, which means the Spirit of the Lord will fill you. Look at what he says. But as I told you, you have seen me and still do not believe. All the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. Verse 38. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my will, but do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all he has given me, but raise them up at the last day. So you see, he's using the fact that the bread of life gives eternal life, even on the last day, if you have eaten of the true bread of life, that is our Lord Jesus, you will still be raised up from the dead. Verse 40, For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in Him shall have eternal life, and I will raise Him up at the last day. Verse 41, At this time the Jews began to grumble about Him because He said, I am the bread that comes down from heaven. They said, Is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can he now say, I came down from heaven? Stop grumbling among yourselves, Jesus answered. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up at the last day. Verse 45, It is written in the prophets, They will all be taught by God. Everyone who listens to the Father and learns from Him comes to me. No one has seen the Father except the one who is from God, only he who has seen the Father. I tell you the truth, he who believes has everlasting life. I am the bread of life, pan de vida, bread of life, hallelujah, pan de vida in Spanish. I am the bread of life. Your forefathers ate manna in the desert, Yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which a man may eat and not die. I am the living bread 
that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. Look at verse 52. Then the Jews began to argue sharply among themselves. How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Jesus said, I tell you the truth, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I'll raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is real food, and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me. Listen to that, somebody. And I in him. He's talking about the true bread that is present at the Passover, the Hebrew Jewish Passover, when they are celebrating the Passover, the bread that is striped, that is called matzah, the holy bread. And again now, he has summarized it by talking about the true bread that is present during the Holy Communion in the church, which means during this time when Christ offered his body on the cross to be stripped, to be striped, even for the sins of the world. He says, whoever eateth of that bread will remain in him and him in him. You see, that means if you eat that bread, you remain in Christ and Christ in you. In other words, maintaining the pre-wedding covenant, pre-rapture covenant, until the day of the rapture, and you will be raptured. You are the ones that have maintained the covenant of faithfulness until the day of the rapture. Just as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your forefathers ate manna and died, but he who feeds on this bread will live forever. So it's very important for us to understand that every aspect of the bread without yeast that the Lord was speaking about to Israel in the book of Exodus chapter 12, was essentially summarizing the true bread that is our Lord Jesus, the bread that came down from heaven, the holy bread that if a man eateth of, he shall not die, but have eternal life. Now, I want to look at another revelation on the Passover church, and this is regarding the Passover lamb. We have just looked at one of the elements that is the bread that is unleavened, the bread without yeast. And in this conversation, I have handled why bread without yeast. I've handled why yeast is removed. And we've seen very clearly that yeast stands for corruption, defilement, sin, inflation, inflammation, rot, deceit, all these things. Everything about sin is yeast. And that's why the Lord was saying, remove yeast from your houses and eat bread without yeast at Passover and also during the Holy Communion. And we've seen that Christ, the Son of God, is actually the bread without yeast for the church. But now, during the time of the Holy Communion, the lead scripture of the book of Luke, chapter 22, verses 7 to 13, he mentioned two things. He said, Now came the day of the unleavened bread. So he talked about the unleavened bread when the Passover lamb was to be sacrificed. So let us look at the Passover lamb. 
What is it about it that is speaking to the church right now as we move towards the rapture? Now, the book of Exodus chapter 12 verses 1 to 13 speaks very, very clearly about the description of the Passover lamb. And this is what he says very clearly. Exodus 12 verses 1 to 13. This is what he says. He says, The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in Egypt, This month is to be your first month, the first month of your year. Tell the whole community of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, each man is to take a lamb for his family, one for each household. If a household is too small for a whole lamb, they must share one with their nearest neighbor, having taken into account the number of people there. You are to determine the amount of lamb needed in accordance with what each person will eat. Verse 5, Exodus 12. The animals you are to choose must be one-year-old male without defect. Hallelujah. And you may take them from the sheep or from the goat. Take care of them until the 14th day of the month. Then the people of the community of Israel might slaughter them at twilight. They are to take some of the blood and put them on the sides and the top of the door frames of the houses where they eat the lamb. The same night they are to eat their meat roasted over fire along with bitter herbs and bread made without yeast. Do not eat the meat raw or cooked in water, but roast it over fire. Hallelujah. Heads, legs, and the inner parts. Do not leave any part till morning. If some is left till morning, you must burn it. This is how you are to eat the meat. Your clocks should be tucked into your belts, and your sandals on your feet, and your stuff on your hand. Eat it in a haste. It is the Lord's Passover. Verse 12, he says, On that same night I'll pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn, both men and animals, and I'll bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. The blood will be a sign for you on your houses where you are. And when I see the blood of the Lamb, I'll pass over you. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. Now, this is amazing to me, precious people, that the blood of the Lamb becomes so critical unto the Lord when he's talking about the Passover, that at this time, even as they commemorate the Passover, they should remember that it is the blood of the Lamb that essentially set them free. Now, let's look at the character. What is the trait that the Lord set forth that the Passover Lamb should have? One of them is that the Passover Lamb should have no defect. There should be no defect at all on the Passover lamb for that lamb to qualify to be a Passover lamb. And so when we look at the New Testament and we look at Christ the Messiah, what is it about the Messiah that qualifies him to be the perfect Passover lamb of God that has been sacrificed during the Passover and in this case during the Holy Communion? Now the book of Hebrews is very clear. Again, I'll just go step by step here. Hebrews and John, will read them together. Hebrews chapter 7, this is what he says here. He's talking about Melchizedek. And he says, verse 11, If perfection could have been attained through the Levitical priesthood, for on the basis of it the law was given to the people, why was there still a need for another priest to come? One in the order of Melchizedek, not in the order of Aaron. For when there is a change in the priesthood, there must be also a change in the law. He 
of whom these things are being said belong to a different tribe, and no one from that tribe has ever served at the altar. For it is clear that our Lord Jesus descended from Judah in regard to this tribe. Moses said nothing about priesthood. And what we have said is even more clear. If another priest like Melchizedek appears, one who has become a priest not on the basis of regulation as to his ancestry, but on the basis of the power of an indestructible life. So you see, the power with which Christ becomes a priest, the Passover lamb, is that he comes with life which is indestructible. But listen to this. For it is declared, you are priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. The former regulation is set aside because it was weak and useless, for the law made nothing perfect, and better hope is introduced by which we draw near to God. Others became priests without any oath, but he became priest with an oath when God said, The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are priest forever. Because of this oath, Jesus became the guarantee of a better covenant. Somebody listen to this. Now there have been many of those priests since death prevented them from continuing in office. But because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who have come to God through him because he always lives and intercedes for them. Such a high priest, now listen to this very carefully. Verse 26, such a high priest meets our needs, one who is holy, blameless, pure, and set apart from sinners and exalted above the heavens. Listen to me, somebody, very carefully here. When the Lord was talking to Israel and he's saying that they should pick a Passover lamb, they should pick a lamb without defect and present because it is the blood of that lamb without defect that would atone for the sins of Israel in slavery in Egypt and release them out. The Lord was essentially speaking to the church. Because we see that ultimately Christ is the Passover lamb, the perfect Passover lamb that was offered for the sins of the world. And we see that Christ actually fits the character, the properties, the characteristics of the Passover lamb that the Lord was ordaining in Exodus chapter 12. In other words, speaking a prophecy to the church, to the New Testament church, and saying that the Passover lamb that will redeem you from the spiritual Egypt, will be a perfect lamb, will be a lamb without spot, without defect. And that's why you see in the book of Hebrews chapter 7, verse 26, our Lord Jesus marches. He fits the description the Lord God was talking about. He says, such a high priest meets our need, one who is holy, listen to that, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners, and he goes on and says, and is exalted above the heavens. Unlike the other priests, he does not need to offer sacrifice day after day, first for his own sins, and then after that for the sins of other people. Listen to what he says. He sacrificed for their sins once for all when he offered himself. For the law appoints as high priests men who are weak, but the oath which came after the law appoints the Son who has been made perfect forever. 
So surely Jesus fitted the description of the perfect Passover lamp that the Lord was speaking about in the book of Exodus chapter 12 verses 1 all the way to verse 13, even verses 35 to 45. So one of the main characteristics of the Passover lamp is that the Passover lamp had to have no defect. The other thing is about the blood of the Passover lamp. We see very clearly that when the Lord was speaking about the Passover lamp to the Israel community, the community of Israel in Egypt, he was essentially speaking about the blood of Jesus that would come and atone for the sins of the world and the church. Because he said, when I see the blood of the Lamb at the doorposts, I will pass over you and not strike you when I strike the land of judgment, but take you as my people so you may enter into the wilderness to worship me towards the promise, the promised land. How does that speak to the church during the Holy Communion? Now listen to this very carefully. When the Lord was doing so with Israel in Egypt, he essentially spoke a prophecy to the church. He was saying, you church, you too, it is the blood of the perfect Passover lamb, Jesus, that when you cover yourself with that blood, cover your heart, that is the only thing the Lord ever died for. And now when I come to take the church during the rapture, and I check on your heart, and I see that your heart is covered with the blood of the perfect Passover lamb that is Jesus, then I will take you to be with me into the wilderness, out of the spiritual Egypt. But judgment will strike Egypt. And remember the Egypt here is the spiritual Egypt, the world where the church has been living. And that judgment is the first three and a half years of the tribulation, and the next three and a half years of the great tribulation. That is the seven years of tribulation. That is the judgment that will smit and strike the earth as the Lord takes the church that is covered by the blood of the Lamb, the blood of Jesus. Is somebody following me here? And you see very, very powerfully now that the blood of the Lamb is able to atone for the sins of the church and release her into the wilderness. Which wilderness are you talking about here? Before the church even enters the rapture, Jesus died for the church at Calvary. And that's why in the beginning I told you there are two levels of redemption that are embedded within the Holy Communion. I said the revelation of the Holy Communion to the church is number one, about the rapture. Number two, about the two levels of restoration. Now listen to this somebody. When Jesus died at Calvary, that was the first redemption. That was the first time he delivered the church from the fall of Adam. He delivered the church right there. And then he made the church able now to pass through the route that brings her into heaven. Because he poured his blood on the cross. But listen to this somebody. If you don't receive Christ, you cannot be delivered into the kingdom of God. So there was a choice given unto the nations of the earth. But the deliverance was already done. Hallelujah. Now look at the next level of the deliverance. He essentially was talking about after the church was delivered at Calvary when he died. That was the Egypt 
delivering from Egypt, he removed the church into the wilderness of repentance. Hallelujah. That's why you see in the book of Exodus chapter 12 verse 51, he says, when he saw the blood of the lamb on the door, he released Israel by their divisions into the wilderness to worship Jehovah. Hallelujah. So you see that when Jesus died on the cross, he too, by his blood, the blood of the perfect Passover lamb, he released the church into the wilderness of repentance. No wonder everyone that appeared was preaching, repent for the kingdom of God is near. Repent for the kingdom of God is near. Implying that the church has now been set free from this slavery of sin that Adam put her in, the slavery in Egypt, now she has been set free by her divisions into the wilderness of repentance. So when we repent in Christ Jesus, then we are ready on our way as we wait for the rapture, but on the way in the wilderness of repentance, on the way to the promised land, which is the rapture for the church. And he's talking about that first level of deliverance that has set free the church, and the church is in the wilderness of repentance. But listen to this, somebody. The day of the rapture, when the midnight hour arrives, when the Lord finally strikes the earth with judgment, that's the next level of deliverance. He delivers the church in the rapture. Tribulation hits the earth as the church enters the wedding supper of the Lamb of God. Isn't that an amazing revelation to mature the church up? The two levels of deliverance, you know, that's embedded within the Holy Communion. And the church has never known these things. Hallelujah. And I want to look at the other aspect of the Passover Lamb that the Lord is talking about. When Jehovah was speaking to Israel about the Passover Lamb that they were to sacrifice, in Exodus chapter 12, he mentioned something very critical to them. He said, and don't break his bones. Now look at this, somebody. Exodus 12. I'm going back to Exodus chapter 12. Exodus 12. This is what he said. He said here very carefully, verse 46. He's talking about the regulations for Passover. What is it that constitutes, qualifies a lamb to be a Passover lamb, able to atone the sins of Israel and now we're talking about the sins of the church. Look at this. Verse 46, Exodus 12. And it must be eaten inside one house. Take none of the meat outside the house. Do not break any of the bones. Hallelujah. That was one of the rules that would qualify a lamb to be a Passover lamb. Now, let us look at the New Testament. Where is it in the New Testament that you now see that Jesus fitted the description that the Father was describing to Israel, a description which would characterize the perfect Passover lamb whose blood is able to atone for the sins of Israel. And in this case, we are talking about the perfect Passover lamb, Jesus, whose blood is able to atone for the sins of the world. And we have seen that he commanded them and he said, you shall not break any of his bones. Now, in the book of John, chapter 19, verse 28, he says, Later, knowing that all was completed, so that the scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it, and the sponge, they put it on a stalk of hyssop plant, 
and lifted it to Jesus' lips. Verse 30. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, It is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Now, it was the day of preparation, for the next day was to be a special Sabbath. Because the Jews did not want the bodies left on the crosses during the Sabbath, they asked Pilate to have the legs broken and the bodies taken down. The soldiers therefore came and broke the legs of the first man who had been crucified with Jesus, then those of the other. But when they came to Jesus and they found that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. Instead, one of the soldiers pierced Jesus' side, hallelujah, with a spear, bringing a sudden flow of blood and water. Now the man who saw this has given testimony, and his testimony is true. He knows that he tells the truth and he testifies so that you also may believe. These things happened so that the scripture will be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. And as another scripture says, they will look on the one they are pierced. Now look at verse 33. It was customary for people who have been crucified during that time of the Roman rule. It was customary for their knees to be broken by axe. They chopped their knees with axes before they lowered the bodies from the cross. And yet, if they had done that with the body of Christ, that would have definitely disqualified Christ from being the perfect Passover lamb that Jehovah had described already and ordained and commanded in the book of Exodus chapter 12. But you see that when they are coming to remove the bodies from the crosses, the first man that was crucified with Jesus, with an axe, they chopped off now the knees as was required in Roman law. And they lowered the body. They went to the other man, they chopped off the knees, and then lowered the body. But when they came to Jesus, they realized he was dead already, he was already dead, and the Holy Spirit of Jehovah could not allow them to cut the bones of our Lord Jesus with an axe so he could fulfill the basic requirement of being a perfect Passover lamb whose bones are not supposed to be broken so his blood could atone for the sins of the world. Isn't that amazing, somebody? Hallelujah. And then the spiritual circumcision that we have seen, and he said... Nobody can partake of the Passover unless they are circumcised. That is what was ordained by the Lord when he set up the regulations. Again, we go back to the book of Exodus, somebody. Exodus chapter 12, not yet done. And he set up regulations here for Passover. Passover regulations, verse 43, Exodus 12. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, These are the regulations of Passover. No foreigner is to eat it. If any slave you are bought may eat of it after they have been circumcised. But a temporary resident or a hired worker may not eat of it. It must be eaten inside one house and none of the meat taken outside the house. Do not break any of the bones. The whole community of Israel must celebrate it. An alien living among you who wants to celebrate the Lord's Passover must have all the males in his household circumcised. And then 
he may take part like a native born in the land. No uncircumcised male may eat of it. The same law applies to native born or to an alien living in the land. So listen very, very carefully, somebody. He was emphasizing the fact that only those male who are circumcised can partake of the Passover. What does that mean to the church? What is embedded there that is important to the church, the Holy Communion, and also the rapture? Essentially, when the Lord Jesus, he died and resurrected into heaven, he transferred the church from the earthly physical sanctuary into the spiritual tabernacle. Now we are not offering the physical blood of an animal. We are offering spiritual sacrifices because Christ, the perfect Passover lamb, has already been sacrificed once for all, like you have seen in the book of Hebrews chapter 7. But listen to this now. And he says in the book of Exodus chapter 12 verses 43 on, only those who are circumcised are permitted, ordained by God to partake of the Passover. Now, for the church, he's talking about only those who are spiritually circumcised by Christ can partake of the Holy Communion. So you see where the church has fallen from. Some people have partaken of the Holy Communion without being born again. In other words, being spiritually circumcised in their hearts. What a tremendous revelation coming to the church today. I want us to read about Jesus, the perfect Passover lamb, and I want us to move to the next level now. What is the significance of the bitter herb that was used to eat the Passover lamb that we see in the book of Exodus chapter 12? In the book of Exodus chapter 12, you see very, very clearly here, verses 1 onwards, let's take verse 8, it says, The same night they are to eat the meat roasted over fire, along with bitter herbs and bread made without yeast. Why was it important for Israel during the Passover until today they eat bitter herbs, they place bitter herbs on the table and they use it to eat the Passover lamb at the same time the bread without yeast. What is the revelation that is there that is embedded unto the church? Let me begin step by step. The book of Matthew chapter 2. Matthew chapter 2 verses 1 to 23. What is the Lord speaking to the church when he ordained the bitter herb to be used for eating the Passover lamb? For commemorating Passover. Matthew chapter 2, he says, The visit of the wise men from the east when Jesus was born. He says, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judah, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. Remember the wise men were coming from the east. And remember that Daniel, the prophet of the Lord, lived in the east. So the scrolls and the manuscripts that Daniel wrote were in the east. That's why the wise men were able to read the manuscripts of Daniel that were in the east, and they knew that when the Messiah would be born, there now would be that star of the Messiah, of the king, the star of David, and they would follow that star, and that star would lead them to where the king would be. 
verse 3, the book of Matthew chapter 2. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the peoples and the chiefs and the teachers of the law, he asked them, Where is the Christ who was to be born? In Bethlehem in Judah, they replied, For this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people Israel. You see very clearly that now the prophecy had been spoken about Judah. The wise men have read the manuscripts of Daniel in the east. They have followed the star. They have asked the king where he is born. And the king is disturbed. Listen to this somebody. And don't lose track. I am still talking about the bitter herb that in the book of Exodus chapter 12 verse 8, the bitter herb that Jehovah God commanded Israel to eat during the Passover festivity. Verse 7. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them exactly what time the star had appeared. He sent them out to Bethlehem and said, Go and make a careful search for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. Listen to verse 9. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over in a place where the child was. Verse 10. Listen to this very carefully. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with the mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Hallelujah. Then they opened their treasures. Somebody listen to this. Then they opened their treasures and presented to him gifts of gold, of incense called frankincense, and myrrh. Do you hear me, somebody? That is the reason Jehovah God commanded Israel to eat the bitter herb with the Passover lamb, hallelujah, and the bread without yeast. Now you see that when Jesus is born, the wise men are coming all the way from the east. They present a gift of gold, which speaks about the presence of the Lord. The purity of God will be with you. The presence of God will be with you all the days of your life. Frankincense, which means your life will be such a pleasant aroma unto our Lord the Father in heaven. And bitter mir, mir standing for your life as a servant of God, as a prophet of God, will be a bitter life. Hallelujah. Now do you understand why Jehovah ordained that when they commemorate the Passover, they should eat the bitter herb at the same time together with the unleavened bread and the Passover lamb. The bitter herb, talking about the bitterness that they had suffered in slavery for the 430 years, hallelujah, and the bitterness that the lamb would go through, the lamb that would be used to atone for the sins of Israel, somebody. But listen to these precious people. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country through another route. Now listen to this. Verse 13. When they had gone 
an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. You look at that. Verse 14. So he got up and took the child and his mother during the night and they left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so this fulfilled what the Lord has said through the prophet. Out of Egypt I called my son. So you see, the bitter herb that was being eaten during Passover was speaking about the coming of the Messiah. He would come with a lot of bitterness. You see that Herod would kill a lot of children now here, looking for him to kill him. Verse 16, when Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. Then what was written and said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. That is the weeping, the bitter herb that they are eating during the Passover festivity. It speaks about the bitterness Jeremiah was talking about. Rachel weeping, many children being slain, being killed in the land, and the Messiah has been taken to Egypt. He's no more here. Rachel is weeping. There is a lot of mourning in the land, somebody. Hallelujah. Let me bring you to another level, precious people. Why did Jehovah ordain and command Israel during the Passover to eat the bitter herb? And what does that speak to the church? So that means, based on what I've read here, it is very important for us to realize that when we go unto the Holy Communion, we should remember the bitterness that the Lord passed through. We should go to the table of the Holy Communion with bitterness. But what is the other revelation of the bitter herb that the Lord commanded Israel in Exodus chapter 12, verse 8, to eat when sacrificing the Passover lamb during the festivity as a lasting ordinance? Let us look back at the book of Exodus chapter 1, precious people, and you'll see a deeper meaning of the bitter herb and what it says to the church. Exodus chapter 1, what it says, somebody. Verse 6, Now Joseph and all his brothers and all the generations died, but the Israelites were fruitful and multiplied greatly and became exceedingly numerous, so that the land was filled with them. Verse 8, Then a new king who did not know about Joseph came to power in Egypt. Look, he said to his people, the Israelites have become much too numerous for us. Come, we must deal shrewdly with them, or they will become even more numerous. And if a war breaks out, they will join our enemies, fight against us, and leave this country. Verse 11, So they put slave masters over them to oppress them. Do you see the meaning of the bitter herb? Hallelujah. So I'm looking at the bitter herb that the Lord commanded Israel to eat with the Passover lamb, which is roasted over fire. 
and the bread without yeast, the unleavened bread. And we've seen that the first implication, the revelation that's embedded in that, is that it should remind them of the bitter pain that they went through as Israel in the slavery. That's the reason the Lord said, do this as a lasting ordinance. And every time you do this, make sure you have bitter herbs that you eat with the lamb that is roasted and the bread without yeast. Now let's look at the pain the Lord was reflecting, having them to remember. The book of Exodus chapter 1, verse 6. Now Joseph and all his brothers and all that generation had died. But the Israelites were fruitful and multiplied greatly and became exceedingly numerous, so that the land was filled with them. Verse 8, Then a new king who did not know about Joseph came to power in Egypt. Look, he said to his people, The Israelites have become much too numerous for us. Come, so we should deal shrewdly with them. Look at that. Shrewdly, that's the bitterness the Lord is talking about in the bitter hub shrewdly with them, or they will become more numerous, and if a war breaks out, they will join our enemies and fight against us and leave the country. Verse 11, so they put slave masters over them to oppress them. Do you hear the word oppress them? That is the bitterness the Lord was reflecting in the bitter hub, telling them, don't forget the bitterness you've gone through in the slavery from which I delivered you, to oppress them with forced labor, forced labor, I would underline that in my Bible. That is part of the bitterness. And they built Python and Ramesses as stone cities for Pharaoh. But the more they were oppressed, the word is oppressed, the bitterness I'm talking about, the more they multiplied and spread, so the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites and worked them ruthlessly. I would underline the word ruthlessly. That's the bitterness the Lord is reflecting in the bitter heart, telling them, don't forget the ruthlessly, the way you were treated ruthlessly. They made their lives bitter. You see, verse 14, their lives were bitter. That's why he told them to eat bitter herbs. And with hard labor and bricks and mortar and all kinds of work in the field and all their hard labor, the Egyptians used them ruthlessly. Now listen to this verse 15. The king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, whose names were Shifra and Pua, when you help the Hebrew women in childbirth and observe them on the delivery stool, if it is a boy, kill him. Do you remember that, precious people? So essentially, you see that they were bitterly treated, ruthlessly treated in Egypt, and the Lord did not want them to forget that during the Passover celebrations. So they would remember exactly where the Lord had removed them from, something that would be so important in enhancing and strengthening and maintaining the ordinance and the covenant they had with the Lord, knowing that only the Lord removed them from that bitterness. How would they forget the bitterness? I'm telling you, if you went to Israel today, there's so much high tech, they're living such a modern life, it would have been very easy for them to have forgotten that bitterness. That's why every once a year, they have to commemorate the Passover as a lasting ordinance, and the bitter herb is part of the Passover menu. How would they forget the bitterness? 
Hallelujah. If you are somewhere today and you've watched this program and you have realized that you've fallen short of the glory of the Lord, of the holiness of the Lord, and of the ways of the Lord, and now you want to receive Him as Lord and Savior, please repeat this prayer with me. Say, Precious Jesus, I repent of all my sins and I open my heart to you, Jesus, that you may fill me with the Holy Spirit so that I may live to please you. Mighty Jesus, keep my name in the book of life of the Lamb of God and bring me into the rapture of the church. In the name of Jesus, I have prayed. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.